Hey everybody, don't skip this. We have a very exciting announcement. This is the only time you're going to hear me today. I'm not on the episode because I'm sick but recovering. So I might sound a little off, but I was rushing to the radio. I mean <laughs> my microphone. To let you know that the Dive Downs official merch store is now live and accepting your hard-earned U.S. dollars. That's because it's only available to people in America. But go over to the divedown.com slash store or just the divedown.com and then find store at the, in you know, the little global nav at the top. And you can buy hats and shirts and a fanny pack and a hoodie. I guess our friends in England refer to it as a bum bag, but this store is only available to people <laughs> in the United States, so that's why we're calling it a fanny pack. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're saying they call hoodies bum bags? No, fanny packs, no. Shane. Fanny packs are bum bags. Hoodies are biscuits. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were jumpers. But anyway, yes, as Stan, as Stan is saying, we're really excited. We've been hinting about it for a while. We've made jokes about getting people's hats for a long time. If you would like to finally get a hat, you know, we're excited to finally launch this thing. And a couple of things about it. One is we have a, an array of products. Something that's interesting about the store is that the, all the pieces are print on demand. So they don't get to you extremely fast. They get to you in seven to 10 days, but we don't have a huge inventory of all this stuff at our homes. This is the only way we could do this is to find a, find a partner that could make you order a product. It is pulled off the shelf, embroidered custom for you, printed custom for you and sent to you. That's, that's how it works. That's what print on demand is. So we're not buying a bunch of extra stuff. It does make the individual pieces a little bit higher cost, but it also means that we're not wasting a bunch of materials by printing 100 or 200 or 300 dive down shirts. The other thing that's fun about this is that it lets us make a new shirt or piece of apparel for any dumb joke we come up with on the show, and you know that we there's will do that. Them. And in fact, there's one great one there right now that you should go check out. Also, the hats. We had beanies. We got snapbacks. We got dad hats. Whichever hat style that you love, other than fedora or like newsy caps, we have that. And maybe fedora newsy caps are on the horizon. As Dave said, we can make new products whenever we have the crazy idea to. So, you know, we always talk about the Patreon as a way to support us. If you don't want to do the regular, you know, money drop of the Patreon, this is a great way to help keep us going, to show your support and love of the podcast. And, of course, there's the holidays coming up, so think about stuff you want to buy for yourself, for your loved ones, to put on your holiday wish list. And we would love to see all of y'all at the next large paper event, masked up and in a Dive Down t-shirt. And hat. And fanny pack. So, if you're willing to check it out, if you'd love to check it out, it's thedivedown.com slash store. That's thedivedown.com slash store, and we thank you so much for your support. Hello and welcome to episode 199. We are almost there. Do you have a minute? Episode 199 of the Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name's Shane here in Denver, Colorado, and with me on the line from a room about, I think you're probably about eight linear feet from me, Dave, in my guest room 
It's the one and only Godfather Dave Harburger. Yeah, you, you didn't say and also from Denver, Colorado, which is the way I thought that you were also from Denver, Colorado. Yeah, also not in <laughs> Illinois this week. Yes, I'm here. I made it. I did my scouting. We yeah. went and had some tacos, and now it's time to record a podcast. It's funny because we we're we're going to hang out in Atlanta in like four days, mm-hmm. but you just couldn't you couldn't stay away from your old buddy Shane and you had to, you know, you made time on your business trip. So I appreciate it, my yeah. friend. My wife was thrilled that, that we're hanging, that I took two fun <laughs> trips in one week for sure. Yes. Well, I mean, you're here for business, but seeing me business, is fun. Yeah. I, I agree. Seeing me is fun. Um, obviously Stan's not here. He, of course, and he wasn't, he, was he here? Not, was he not here last week? Was, was it already just. Yeah. He was also here, not here last week. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So yeah, he's taking another week off. He he has Stan sounds amazing. He got a head cold this morning, and his voice is is so raspy and deep. It's deeper than Dave's voice now. Hmm. Doubt. Yeah, doubt. But um, replacing Stan full time, it's our new friend of the pod from Providence, Rhode Island, Darth Jason. Darth Jason, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, and people might know who you are if they're if they're into Pioneer. I feel like they probably know who you are. But can you tell us and the listeners a little more about yourself? Sure. Uh, so I'm a Magic Twitch streamer and YouTuber. I play competitive Magic and have since about 2013. And I'm a writer over on PlayingPioneer.com, where I focus mainly on Pioneer as well as the premium deck guides that we put out most weeks. When I was playing competitively, I was going around the country, playing as many Grand Prix, SCGs, and things like that as I could, culminating... A true grinder. Oh, yeah. Uh, culminating in a win at Grand Prix Providence in 2015, playing some standard. Is that a in home, your hometown win? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always been a lucky Aww. sight. And uh, the next year, I went 12-3 and uh, three and just missed top eight again. So uh, that was a, a sweet one to try and run back. That's awesome. It's a real Darth Jason meta up in Providence, I've heard. What format was it and what were you playing? So 2015, what is that? Innistrad? Shadows over Innistrad? Or, yeah. So that was uh, cons right before Origins oh, dropped. Yeah, okay. Uh, the best, so, the best. Yes. That is good. I love so, okay, the good on, Dragon so- Lord of Tarka. Yeah, I'm a so I'm yeah I'm I'm one of those people who like of course it's like the first standard set I got back into Magic with was Con so of course it's the best set ever but like what what were you playing back in Con standard? So I was playing uh, mono green devotion with splashing red for some sideboard cards and Dragon Lord of Tarka. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you, I remember those days. Oh yeah, run run all the eight elves you could, your Sylvan Caryatids, and then you just got to play Whisperwood Elemental and Ugin. It was great. Oh, Whisperwood Elemental! I forgot about that card. So. In Pioneer, I, I, I'm i not familiar with what decks you favor in Pioneer. Are you also playing Mono Green Devotion in Pioneer these days? Is that your vibe? Or? I am. I actually won my RCQ uh, invite with Mono Green, uh, and it's been one of my pet decks ever since Pioneer started. Uh, back at the Pioneer SEG Invitational, I played Mono Green back before it had the Karn package with the aggro version, and uh, it's always been in my back pocket. And once it got good again... I was ready with my elves, and we went and played some RCQs. So you've just loved Nykthos for a long time, is what you're telling us. Huh? <laughs> I love to break mana. It's yeah. it's a it's a bad thing, but it's a good thing. I mean, if you're going to break the rules of magic, I feel like doing it with your mana is one of the best ways. Besides maybe casting costs. That's kind of the same thing. Yeah, please. I'm a casting cost person. I, I want to pay proxy <laughs> mana for things. 
We don't do that in Pioneer, um, though. So on this week's show, we're going to talk with Sky about the upcoming RC in Atlanta. We're going to take a look at a bunch of the decks. Maybe we'll try to almost tier them in the order that we think the decks are going to appear in the meta. I think we're going to talk about you know the decks you should expect to see, the decks that we think will do well, that will do less well, and then also um, some sleepers that m- people might want to keep an eye on as they're starting to think about it. Yeah, I feel like when we talk about this, and like of course, this is this is highly subjective. The, one of the definitions of tiers I like, and of course, this is before we even through housekeeping, one of the definitions of tiers I like is... Tier one is like just like the known best decks that have like a, a high power level in a vacuum. They're always just they're doing something good. Tier two are like the decks that are are good, but maybe just have like a, a less powerful like game plan than the tier one decks. And then tier three is the stuff that can be like better tuned to beat certain things in the upper tiers, where it's like they might not be as rawly powerful, but against like t- some of the tier one decks, they might just have like bonkers matchups or something like that. And again, this has nothing to do with what we're really going to talk about because, you know, I don't really know much about Pioneer in the long run, but um, we have, we have Sky to guide us through the wilderness of Pioneer. Like I mentioned, we do have some housekeeping to get through. It's going to be a little bit faster, but a little bit slower. We have no new patrons. We have no patrons increasing their tiers. And unfortunately, even after, if you didn't listen to all of last week's episode, like all the way through, like maybe when we start closing out the episode, uh, doing the, the, the closing credits, you, you close or, or stop. And I do that all the time for other podcasts. I encourage you to go back and listen all the way through the episode because um, our audio engineer, Tanner, had a lovely treat for all of us there. And he encouraged us all to leave reviews if you want to leave a review, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can throw us some stars. We appreciate you making us feel good about ourselves. And if you want to support us, help keep us going, you can go to patreon.com slash the dive down. Uh, a bucket episode is kind of the entry level, gets you involved in the community on our Discord. Going up from there gets various points of parts of swag headed your way. I just was packing some boxes. With oh, yeah, very I see them helpful. here in your, uh, in your guest yes. room right now. I see some boxes. Yep, they're there. My, my wife and I, she was helping me out uh, to get, get some boxes out to all y'all. Um, but yeah, but, and then Dave, before we get off the Patreon, so you're just talking about swag and we've been handing about things, something lately for a while, the last couple of months, you know, it all started when somebody said that they wanted a dive down hat. Was it you? I thought you wanted the dive down hat. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I did make a hat for myself, but it wasn't me. And, um, it started with that. And then we started, we built a new website a couple of months ago and then we realized that maybe people would want to get some shirts, get some dive down swag to be able to rep that they're listeners when they're at tournaments and things like that. So we are really excited to announce that at the divedown.com, we just launched a limited selection of swag uh, that people can go buy. If you want to buy some shirts, uh, we have two or three different kinds of hats that people could buy. We are using a print-on-demand vendor through Squarespace right now so that every piece that someone buys will be made specifically for them if they if you want to place an order. So if you go to the divedown.com slash store, you can check out the the things that we have for you to to uh, to wear, take the nation with you, as we said on the website. 
Yeah, so importantly, it means we don't have a thousand t-shirts in our basement along with the deck boxes. But um, so, Dave, I think you're you're glossing over the hard work you put into this website and the store. Uh, so let's talk about what we have there. We have an amazing uh, Rhino Boys uh, t-shirt from Tower Slayer, I believe, yep. in the community. At Tower Slayer. Gave, yep. gave, us, gave us the art gratis. Just be like, hey, yeah, just put this on a t-shirt if you want. We have a logo T-shirt. We have a logo flat brim. We have a logo dad hat. We've got a beanie. We have, of course, the fanny pack. Yes, because we, it would not be it would not be a dive down store without a fanny pack. We did make a dive down fanny pack. Will you be the first person to have a dive down fanny pack at your tournaments? Come to the website. So Stan didn't get one yet. Stan has not gotten one yet. No, we did not Man, get a sample. He's such one a bad yet. guy. But anyway, yeah, I mean, there it's it's awesome. It's a good start. We can add a lot of things uh, flexibly. I mean, Dave's always thinking of new ideas, so I'm just I'm excited to see uh, the way this goes. Yeah, so go check it out again. TheDiveDown.com/store if you want to see what stuff we have for for available. Yeah, it's it's about that holiday time, you know. Yeah, you know, just just get some cool stuff. We're gonna also be repping some of it in in, uh, in Atlanta, so I'm I'm really hyped to get my hat. I cannot wait. But yeah, head on over to thedivedown.com/store. Yeah, Sky is like, oh my god, I didn't think I was gonna be on a podcast with ads. Yeah, <laughs> well, we do have we do have two more ads. I was gonna say we got to pay the bills quickly. Mana traders, you know, mana traders renting cards online. Manatraders.com. Use code the. The Dive Down 15, 10% off your first two months. Uh, NRG, Nerd Rage Gaming, we cover their events. They give us 8% off their card store with code DIVE8. I mean, since you're here, Darth Jason, do you have uh, you have a Twitch? Do you have a Patreon? Do you, you know, do you, does Playing Pioneer have a Patreon? How does this work? How do you get paid? <laughs> Both of them do. Uh, both I do and Playing Pioneer, but I tend to work as a freelancer, so I go directly through the team and the owners over there. But they have a, a Patreon, so you could read all the premium articles if you're a subscriber over there. And then I have one where I put out my tier lists uh, in a written form early every week, so people can start the arguments about what's good and what isn't a little <laughs> bit earlier than when the videos come out. And uh, where will we find that? Uh, so that's going to be patreon.com slash Darth Jason or patreon.com slash play X network. I believe they moved over to there for their Patreon, but I can get you the link. And that's J A C E N, correct? Yes. Blame Star Wars, but it has made my name even harder <laughs> to, to recognize. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're making some great content. That's how, you know, that's how I found you is through your, your awesome written work. And then, you know, I've checked out the stream and the streams, you know, super chill, you know, super high level gameplay. And I've really enjoyed checking it out when I can. So again, thanks for being here. So what we have coming up, of course, is the regional championship, the return to, you know, high level ongoing competitive paper play where if you do well at this you're not going to only make some cash you're going to get some points that helps you kind of stay on the train of competitive play in magic the gathering we all had these rc you know we had the first rcq season people were you know qualifying in limited and in pioneer and some modern you know we know stan went to like seven of these things and i think you and i both got to one is that right dave i did not get to any unfortunately oh my gosh dad life. life yeah dad life but that's okay. okay. I got the grant. I got a grant total of one. But uh, I know a lot of people were grinding these things. A, a number of people in the Dive Down Nation qualified. Looking forward to seeing these folks down in Atlanta. And uh, Sky, you qualified, correct? 
I did. Uh, I managed to play in a Magic Online one and then two in paper, and I qualified off my second in paper. We uh, found a store that was running one none of us had heard of. We all went down, and <laughs> it was a small store. We had about 20-some-odd players in the event, and seven of our group made top eight. So it was, Oh, my gosh. So you spiked it. Yeah, it was a wild time. We got to basically just team kill all the way through the the single limbs, but it was a lot of fun, and, and uh, we sent a lot of people as well hopefully to uh, Atlanta. Was it fun to like just knock off all your friends on your way to taking the whole thing down? Oh, uh, there's nothing better, right? You <laughs> get those bragging rights and the trophy, nothing, nothing better. Perfect. So you've been playing Pioneer since the beginning of the format, of course. What, what kind of got you interested in Pioneer as kind of your specialty, uh, your, your focus as where you are with Magic right now? Or is that just kind of the thing that you're writing the most content about at the moment? Yeah, yeah give us your bona fides here. Sure. So uh, when I first started playing, obviously, I got into it like most people do. Just friend recommended a store. We went and played some draft. I got 03 real quick, but got hooked. And then from there on, I started playing whatever competitive formats I could, which at the time was standard. That was sort of the everywhere format. And then as I started playing more, I got into modern, uh, played a little bit of modern for a while. And then me and some friends had kind of been kicking around the idea, you know, some of these new formats like Frontier and things and Tiny Leaders had been kicking around. We were wondering, would there be a new modern, something like Extended, where they made that before modern? And, you know, we were kind of all waiting because, you know, there were some feelers on the ground right around that time before Pioneer was announced. There was something coming. Uh, and so we were all trying to figure out what it would be. You know, do we start an Innistrad? Do we do here? And then when Pioneer was announced, it was just this greatest hits of all the, the decks I'd been playing when I started. You know, I started at Dark Ascension. So... Basically, I got to have that ramp up, and then we just hit Pioneer. So all the memories I had in college of Return to Ravnica and those things, I got to play all those decks, play all the broken decks during the Wild West of Pioneer for the first two weeks before things got banned. And, uh, you know, it just sort of became a format where I could really dive deep and enjoy a lot of it. And I've come in and out of it. Um, the inverter meta kind of put me off it for <laughs> yeah. a little bit. I, I switched back to modern for that period. And then yeah. uh, I really enjoyed both, modern, by the way. Oh, you, me, everybody, it feels like. It took a long time for it to recover from that. And then, you know, as infamously has been talked about a lot, it also took a while for it to recover from the Heliod, you know, the the post-inverter meta, which was the Heliod, um, you know, other combo decks, kind of one that were were let loose by inverter. I mean, and don't forget, of course, like the... The, the GPs that were happening like in January and February of 2020, like, you know, I was down in Phoenix with uh, some of the Dive Down Nation and I think Inverter might have took that down or like, no, no, that was the one where like Inverter was a number of the top eight, but like that that awesome red Eldrazi uh, Obligator deck uh, won, it, won the whole thing. But, you know, uh, what happened next month? Oh, there was a pandemic. Yeah, I was going to say Ben Weiss took that one down with uh, yep. Monoride Eldrazi. Oh, I loved yeah. watching that and yeah play out yeah that was it was fun to be there and you know um ben's a good guy he's a former podcast host i forget which pod he was on but uh, you know but there's something to be said too for like how long this format has had to recover from like being an online only format and then how long we had between what we felt were like kind of obvious bands that took their time and now with this RC and the fo- competitive focus on Pioneer, I'm really hoping that Pioneer sort of comes into its own more than it already has. Yeah, I mean, I think the recovery took a long time, but we've, we've seen it uh, thanks to the RC, I think. Uh, there was a period right at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I remember there was about 300 active players in the leagues on Magic Online. Yeah. yeah. To, put, to put that into context, that is 
pretty much the basement. There is very few formats outside of vintage that had less players at that time. <laughs> and we saw gradually, thanks to the RCQs and the RC announcements, it's, it's well over a thousand most weeks now. And it's it's grown to, you know, modern is still number one. But now it's a solid number two on Magic Online. And that's something that at the beginning of the pandemic, when it really fell off, I, I was worried it wasn't ever going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely sort of gave a requiem for Pioneer at different points in time on this show where we, you know, when it was announced, we were like, oh, wow, we're going to, we're making content at the time when a new format's coming out. It fits with what we're trying to do since we were modern focused already. This is going to be really cool. And it had a lot of promise for those first six months. And then after that, we were like, I don't think this is going to make it. Seems like modern is going to be the magic online one. Standard is going to be on arena and there's going to be nothing in between. And then to see them come back and say, yeah, we don't want it to be standard for the first uh, recovery tournament uh, post kind of pandemic has been really cool to see it come back. Yeah. Real dedication to the success of the format. And I think ultimately uh, this makes me think about like, you know, what's really different about pioneer than the other formats and like yeah, you know, we don't need to get into why you should care about pioneer out there listeners but like you know, sky what's really your draw to pioneer over modern like what do you think that you like about the gameplay and the decks and things like that so i think there's two two answers one's a little cheeky and one's less so but the the cheeky answer is that as somebody who loves switching in and out of decks playing a lot of the format sort of testing everything it's really tough to keep up with modern price-wise with the, the Horizon sets. I Like I said, I played a lot of modern, and then Modern Horizons 2 started that trend of needing to pick up enough staples that you get priced out a little bit. But then on the actual gameplay side, I really enjoy the, the nature of the lack of free spells, all the things that sort of brought the game back to that feeling, like I said, when I first started playing, of everything costs its mana, there's a lot of battlefield interaction, you can choose what you want to lose to, what you want to beat. There's a lot of uh, agency in your deck building choices. And honestly, the power level is at a place where there's a couple outliers that, you know, we talked about bands have happened. But for the most part, there's a lot of equality across a lot of decks with a couple of outliers, which I think is a really nice way to be able to innovate every week and not get bored of, you know, running into the same style of decks that may always be at the top of the tournaments. To put a finer point on it, what what would you say to the people, maybe some co-hosts who aren't on this show tonight? <laughs> Stan, you may not know Stan is sort of a known pioneer non-enjoyer. I do see a lot of people on Twitter who are like, pioneer is not a great format, blah, 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 blah. What, what, do, you th- like, what do you think is the way that you would try to convince a friend of yours who says they don't like the metagame in pioneer to give it another shot? I think the the best selling point of a pioneer truly, and it's it's a point a lot of my friends bring up, is that you get a new set every couple months. You get a brand new massive set, fully focused, realized set like the Brothers War, where when we saw Kamigawa come out recently, that changed Pioneer. We saw the rise of blue-white control, things like that, and each new set brings so many new tools that are again trying to compete with these slots in modern legacy and things like that for space. Pioneer's a lot easier to break into. It's a lot easier to make those changes. And metagames get stale. I don't think that's ever going to change, but I think having a new set every couple months that can greatly shake it up is one of the best selling points in being able to get out of that funk. If something persists past that, we have bans and that happens frequently enough to keep it interesting. 
I've been enjoying Pioneer a lot lately, for what it's worth. I've, I've, I've gone back and forth a number of times, just like everybody on the show for a while. Shane was like the Pioneer guy, yeah. and then now he switched back to loving rhinos, so now cascading into things, so... You know, we have our Rhino boys, San and Shane, and then I've been I've been spending a lot of time playing Rakdos Mid and um and Phoenix in Pioneer over the last six weeks or so. But um, well, why don't we hop in from here? Let's just talk about what we're gonna do for a second. We're gonna go oh, sure. through a bunch of decks. We're gonna talk about what they do. This is, it's gonna be a little bit of a primer of Pioneer for everybody listening, and then you know, kind of quiz guy at the end about what he thinks about the where these are in the meta position right now, what we're trying to do, those kind of things. But we're going to go through deck by deck and do kind of a detailed meta breakdown of Pioneer overall, kind of in a couple tiers. The best decks, the kind of just below that, and then finally the rogues that kind of Shane talked yeah. about after that. Yeah. So for each deck, we'll talk about briefly what it does, why it might be good at the RC, why it might be not so good, and then kind of our overall predictions for how the deck might perform uh, at the RC this coming week. And, you know, Sky, I know that you got in there in the notes like a like an awesome guest that you are, but feel free to interrupt at any point, you know, if it's something that you, you might disagree with in our notes or something like that, because we're really here to, to showcase your expertise, and we're just kind of guiding this conversation. So no pressure, uh, but we appreciate it yet again. So let's start with what everyone knows as one of the top tier, if not the top tier deck of Pioneer, and that's Green Devotion, Mono Green Devotion. You kind of know what this deck does. It quickly ramps up using Mana Dorks, Wolf Willow Haven, and of course, Nykthos, and then it powers out big creatures, big spells like Storm of the Festival. Meanwhile, of that, I mean, that would be enough for a lot of decks, I feel like. But meanwhile, of course, it's also playing the set of Planeswalkers, that are synergistic with the overall game plan and can also just win the game on the spot if you have enough mana, particular board states, things like that. So why this deck might be good? Um, I mean, so I guess an important thing too to talk about is one of the things we I looked at a lot and I think we both looked at was the this mtgdex.net, which is a really good website, and they have a really big win rate win rate matrix from the data sources they have available to them. And so we know, of course, that win rate, win rate matrix matrices, even with, an, with with a lot of data, are still you know pretty sketchy. But that's sort of like guiding the conversation and what kind of win rates are looking like, especially for ones that have a lot of matches against each other and things like that. So in, in that chart, uh, Mono Green has positive win rates against just kind of most of the top decks. And to target mono green, you have to really attack it in particular ways. Yeah, it's worth noting that it's positive win rates against most decks, but not dominant win rates against yeah, most it's, it's, decks. Yeah, it's not dominant. Sky, what do you think about that kind of takeaway for, for the decks, kind of where it fits in the meta? So one of the things with mono green that's really interesting is that it does have some polarized matchups. Like you said, it has really... Positive matchup against most of the decks, but if you notice a lot of the decks it has bad matchups against, they're very bad. Yes. And then when you look at it's sort of like 50 to 55% against a lot of the top decks, most of that comes from the fact that you're favored in most games for game one, and then you lead into a position where people bring a lot of sideboard hate for you. So games become much more losable post-board against a lot of decks, and so people are able to pick up a lot more percentages to keep it closer than it may otherwise seem. I guess now that we're talking about that, what are the things that you think people should be bringing in to fight against mono green? 
So one of the big ones that we saw as innovation and, and we, this continued into the SEG was in Rakdos midrange, a lot of people running extinction event. Uh, this was incredibly powerful for Rakdos because if you look at the mono green deck, you have one mana drops for your elves. You have three drops in your old growth trolls and five drops in your Cavalier of Thorns. All of a sudden you can just take out the legs from mono green, leave them with two or three, maybe four at most mana clogged with a handful of big things or, or planeswalkers they can't leverage. One of the big things also about Extinction of it Exiles, which Green has a very resilient time with things that destroy a Wrath, not so much with Exile. Yeah. You see that similarly, they were at some points playing Epic Downfall. Uh, people have been playing a lot of Exile-based removal, things like Temporary Lockdown or uh, Declaration in Stone uh, as a means to be able to not only hit your big creatures and exile them, but hit all of them and make getting through a lot easier. I mean, it's so interesting for you to point that out because I would never really think that a Wrath would be good against this deck because when I imagine playing against Monogreen Devotion in my brain, all I think about is Karn and Kiora, right? But the that's not the full experience of how this deck wins. No, not at all. The, the secret sauce of this deck and why it... it rose to prominence was the combo uh, aspect with Karn, Kiora, and Pestilent Cauldron that uh, Canister found. But what it really does almost better than any other deck is it just bloats the ground. You accelerate so fast into high toughness creatures that aggro has a hard time getting through without playing cards that otherwise wouldn't, like Brave the Elements. And removal decks don't want to go anywhere near you because, again, you kill an old growth troll, you're ramping me. You kill a Cavalier, yeah. I get a free Karn. This is great. And yeah, so, so it, no, no win. Exactly. It, it puts you in this vice grip of you either die to my creatures and me attacking you, you die to my planeswalkers with combo. So you have to either kill me very quickly or you have to have very specific cards. Otherwise, I'm going to take over the game in the late game. For sure. And I feel like going back to why this deck is just sort of broadly good, I feel like the decks that are good against mono green devotion have their own counters in the meta that are very popular. So like, let's say like mono blue spirits or something like that. Like the counters that exist, like these hyper aggro, like creature based decks, like maybe something like uh, Boros Heroic, like they have counters in Rakdos midrange. And so like the, this existence of Rakdos being so popular gives mono green, like a lot of room to breathe in the format. And so it has like, it has a lot of gravity in it, like you know, a lot of people are paying attention to this deck, but it's just so good at what it's doing that, like, if you want to hard counter it, then you have to hard counter other things that you just cannot. Yeah, Rakdos and Mono Green do this weird smokescreen for each other, where Rakdos can beat all the decks that want to win early, but if you go late enough, you can go over the top of it. But Mono Green does the opposite. You have to get under it real fast, or the Karn combo is going to kill you. So between those two decks, there's not a whole lot of room. Either you're trying to win really early or win really late, and they kind of do a good job of protecting each other. And it's a big reason why they sit atop the metagame together. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, this deck was 16.5% of SCG, which is not quite in line with what we've seen in tournaments lately. Mono Green has been far and away the number one deck a lot of times, and SCG it was it was number two. I'm sure you have a guess of what number one was. We'll talk about it in a minute. <laughs> but um, it's interesting. You know that is that is kind of what's been going on in Pioneer for a while. Is this deck's just been sitting at the top? 
Yeah, I guess we should mention that the SCG, there's an SCG con in Philadelphia this past weekend, and they had a 30K Pioneer event. So that's probably a good thing for us to be looking at, kind of determine what people are bringing there, what kind of decks might do well, or what's maybe going to inform people's final decision if they're still vacillating between a variety of decks for uh, the RC in Atlanta. Notable that there were no copies of this in the top 12. None of the top 12. Which is a surprise um, the way things have worked out recently anyway. So Sky... This is your deck. You've, we talked earlier about how you love you love Nikthos. 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 I don't know which one's right. Is this what you're taking to Atlanta? Are you willing to share that with us? You want to talk about wh- why you're taking it, ultimately? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm planning to take this to Atlanta. I actually, right next to me, I just picked up my brother's war cards for the sideboard. So I have those in a pile ready to go. Um, to me, uh, decks have to really make a concerted effort to beat Monogreen. And yeah. one of the things that this deck does that almost no other deck in the format does is sometimes beat that anyway. When you're when you're looking at the the level of focus people need to have against this deck, there, like you said, there are good matchups that you know you don't want to run into. Mono white aggro is it Phoenix? Those are your two matchups that are a little tougher of the the top tier decks. And then you have, like you said, mono blue spirits, things like that that you just want to avoid. Like get them out of here. You never want to face them. But everything else gives you a little bit of a skill check, an ability to win through your opponent's stumbles. If they keep a hand that doesn't quite have the right amount of interaction, you just pull far and ahead. You pull away far and ahead. And you have this card in Storm the Festival that to me is the epitome (laughs) of cards that I, I like in my decks for competitive events. And it's just a oops, I win card. Sometimes you just cast your six mana card on turn three, put 10 mana worth of spells into play, get a Nykthos for free, and your opponent looks at you and doesn't feel like you're playing the same format. That's one of my favorite feelings in Magic. A lot of the times when I have had competitive success, it's come on the back of that exact feeling. And even though there's tons of really great decks, I was between four or five, nothing other than to a degree the Delve spells has that same feeling of, Oh, yeah. I'm not playing on the same field as everybody else. Yeah, it's always like something really important, I think, to identify is like, what am I doing that's essentially broken that other decks can't do? And I think if we've seen this for the entire lifetime of of the format. And Mono Green has had to have nerf after nerf, you know, ban after ban, and it's still really bonkers. And especially with people discovering the ver- various combos, whether it's in with Pestilent Cauldron or with Teferi. And uh, what well, I guess I want to get into a little bit more of a detail. You mentioned the Brothers War cards, and we just finished our spoiler episodes. What are you, if you're comfortable sharing, what are you packing into your wishboard? So obviously the the cards when this is being recorded haven't quite hit Magic Online yet, so there will be some more tweaking before oh, yeah, before sure. the final submission. But I'm very certain we're going to be playing Cityscape Leveler. Uh, that's just a absolute great upgrade to Meteor, Meteor Golem. Golem. Yep, does a similar thing, and it has a couple of neat tricks to it. One, obviously, when it destroys something, your opponent gets a Power Stone token, which is turned off by Karn. And mm-hmm. then also when it attacks, it does the same thing. So if you unearth it, you get it hasty back. And then when it exiles itself from an earth, you can now pick it back up with Karn. <laughs> so you have a recursive meteor golem now. I don't even think, we, did we catch that, Dave? That it's recursive? Did not remember the exile after it's unearthed. No. Yes. Great point. Yeah. Even better. 
Yeah, I was pretty sure that that card was going to end up in there too, though, just because it's so useful. Yeah, once once when Dave brought, I kind of overlooked it. Then I was like, oh wait a second, this is like repeatable meteor golem, truly bonkers. Yeah, it it never gets worse when you look at it that way. And then from the other perspective, you know, sometimes you have to pivot to an aggro portion of your deck, especially you know if you're playing other Karn decks that might turn off your combo. A three three, not so impressive. An eight eight trampler very different story you get this thing down the game is going to end very quickly yeah absolutely uh next one that's uh pretty much a lock is going to be it's from the jump start actually which Mm -hmm. uh, i was glad to see is is printed for standard and pioneers the woodcaller automaton uh automaton yep obviously at 10 mana it's a little overcosted but a four mana untapper for nykthos is not okay searchable and as well and that and that gets you the green devotion on that mode Yep, it buys back half the cost of the pay in that it costs four to play and then you get two right back. It's one of the problems you sometimes run into is a choke point on your cure activations, managing your chain veils, things like that. This just means that after you chain veiled, a lot of times you're kind of just your Karn sits there while you do your mana or you're getting more chain veils. Now Karn just gets a wood collar and your Kiora can untap chain veil and you just get so much mana. It's it really is incredible that this managed to come out because it's one of the few unique effects that Pioneer didn't have access to in an artifact. Yeah, it's wild. It's truly wild. How about any of the weirder cards, Sky? Are you looking at like the Brainstone or the Silexes, um, the a Silex or the cough? Isn't there that like coffin that protects you? Like any of yeah, that stuff? So, oh yeah, Stone Brain. What about, what about that, that little like one mana thing that blows up an enchantment? Oh, uh, the Might. Yep, yes, I got mice. the mite right here. He's definitely making it <laughs> in, in hand. Oh yes, I'm I'm excited about this one. Uh, people were talking about it for Urza Saga as a potential find for modern, but for Karn boards, uh, one of the things that has been problematic lately has been Karuga Fires, which uh, I believe top aided the 5k alongside the 30k at, at SEG Con Philly, and being able to pay one mana to blow up your opponent's leyline bindings. Fires of Invention, Enigmatic Incarnation, or any other Karn targets uh, is just really powerful. And for such a cheap, flexible spot, the gain life is nice too, and it, it's whenever it dies. So if you need a, a cheap blocker to throw in the way to stop a Brave the Elements, it does that too. And then looking at the other two you mentioned, uh, Stone Brain and Stasis Coffin. Coffin's the one I'm least sure on. Uh, it is neat being able to give yourself protection, stop burn spells, stop discard, uh, stop like I'd been mentioning, Brave the Elements is one of the cards that makes Mono White a tough matchup for green. Uh, you build up a big board, and then all of a sudden it doesn't matter. Stasis Coffin just stops that for a turn, which again, Fog is powerful. I don't know if it's worth it. The Stone Brain, I think, is going to be a card that, especially in open deck lists, is going to be incredibly important for, for anyone going to the RC to know about and know how to play with. Being able to loop it with Karn, because again, yeah. like the Stasis Coffin, life's, like Cityscape Leveler, this also exiles itself. So you can keep rebuying it, and you can take out cards in swaths of four. So in your playing against a combo deck, you get to ruin their combo. It doesn't have to be non-lands, it can be basics, so you can exile their entire deck once you have the Karn combo and limited mana, things like that. And you can just keep stripping them of the cards that matter. And like I said... Mono Green tends to have one card that matters in a lot of matchups. Temporal Trespass, Brave the Elements, you know, taking a Lotus Field or a Thespian Stage, being able to just take out those cards before they hit play. All of a sudden, 
Remember how I said you have to kill me quickly? Not so easy when you're missing your key pieces. Yeah. So being able to take these key pieces out of decks, I think this is going to be the card that is most challenging to play with of the new cards because a lot of them sort of, you know, they do what they're going to do. They untap Nykthos, they kill a thing. Stone Brain, you're going to have a lot of times where you have to pick a card that beats you in a certain spot. And with open deck lists and knowledge of the format, it should do a lot of work this upcoming weekend. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right, let's go on to the next deck. The next deck in this duo that's been sitting atop Pioneer, as you mentioned earlier, as we've all talked about earlier, is Rakdos Midrange. It was the number one registered deck at the the SCG 30K. As it turned out, a little bit of a surprise. Like I said, usually it's mono green. This time it was Rakdos. But we know what Rakdos does, right? It's kind of the Jund of Pioneer. Um, it doesn't have quite the beefy creatures. There's no Tarmogoyf in the same way as like it did. It, it wasn't modern, but it makes you discard. It plays it plays utilitarian threats, tries to get two for ones, all those kind of things. <laughs> utilitarian. Yeah, utilitarian threats. You know, that's my favorite pavement song. It's my, it sounds more like a gotta buy voices song, like utilitarian threats. Exactly. <laughs> High kick. Erectus is like you said, it's it's that classic Jund feel from back when I started playing Modern, right? You you can play game against everything. And we saw Shieldred, the Apocalypse, did a great job of taking a lot of your worst matchups and making them closer. Not necessarily good, but closer. The thing that, that interested me the most about Shieldred was just being able to have a little bit of reach in the deck. When I was playing Rakdos a bit earlier in the summer and things like that, I was finding that I would, I would get a lot of people to like four or six, and then I wouldn't be able to bust through their board and being able to play Shieldred where they're going to take the damage if they don't, if they don't kill it felt like a pretty powerful change to me there. And so I was glad to see that card make its way into the deck. Yeah, it's a, it's a great upgrade. And one of the secret modes and, and part of why Rakdos is so good, you know, obviously at the, at the surface level level, it's good because it's a two for one deck. Eventually your opponent runs out of things and you don't, you have powerful threats you have the best creature land pairing in Hive of the Eye Tyrant and Den of the Bugbear. So even your lands are doing better things than most your opponents are able to do. And then you look at its, its pivot points, and a lot of times it pivots into an aggro deck. And like you said, when you're trying to go Thoughtseize into 2-drop into 3-drop, well, Shieldred helps you close that game even if they start answering your things. And the deck is able to play from any type of position and adjust itself for every matchup. And that's why it's good, right? The best Rakdos players are going to be able to find the best percentage in every matchup. Yeah, and unlike modern Jund, like Rakdos in Pioneer, statistically, like its worst matchups are really like 45%. And like its best matchups are into the low 60s. And so like, you know, it's just really consistent. It's really efficient. It's really powerful. Like it's not as bonkers as Mono Green Devotion or even close to in terms of like going over the top in that fashion. But like you said earlier, Sky, this is the deck keeping things like Phoenix and Boros Heroic and Spirits and Mono Red and like a bunch of other decks like that from being really prevalent in the metagame because it's so good at stopping those type of strategies. Like anyone tries to get a little bit funky, it can really put a stop to it unless it's really gunning for what Rakdos is trying to do. Yeah, one of the big things about Rakdos to me is just like you said, you try and do something a little off the wall. You try and do something synergy based that requires, you know, like a good example is a friend of mine's very passionate about elves. It's a good deck. He actually just uh, he was one of the people at the SEG con who top 12. Now, 
he said he was happy to dodge Rakdos the whole day. And that's why it's a deck that's able to pick you apart and take out your, your key pieces. And if you have to have a certain thing live or have to have a certain thing resolve, you're in trouble. And Rakdos does a great job of making sure that never happens. Congrats to him for uh, top 12-ing in a top 12 that had three Rakdos mid-range decks in there. It was Dan Jessup, Joshua Floro, and Krishna Pai all made the top eight of that SCG 30k on Rakdos mid-range. Looks like we had a lot of pretty stock lists, except for, as you mentioned, Sky, everybody is pretty much picking up on Extinction Event in the sideboards. Um, seems like the secret's out on that as far as what they're trying to do. One of the, the biggest things of contention, actually, in the, the builds for a long time was whether to play Liliana the Veil. Yeah. yeah. That was that was the big question mark. A lot of the cards have coalesced around uh, with, you know, obviously some changes, people having their own flavors of sideboard cards. But for a long time, it started at, you know, do we play four Liliana? Okay, do we play three? <laughs> do, do we play any Liliana? And now, you know, the list that came at the highest finisher in a lot of the lists right now aren't, are choosing to play Kalidus instead of Liliana because... That's wild. You're able to answer mono green better and you're able to beat aggro decks better and you're able to keep phoenix from recurring their phoenixes it's a sad day when you know liliana's not even pioneer power level Uh, it's it's tough it's tough out here when you're asking your opponent to to put a card in the graveyard for free look at grease fang they're pumping their fists over there like oh i don't have to discard my power oh please let me yeah thank you (laughs) exactly makes a ton of sense all right so what do you think of this deck's chances this weekend since you you chose, so you said you tried out four or five decks. Was Rakdos one of the decks that you spent some time on too? Absolutely. Uh, I've only gotten to play one RCQ for this season, the one that's qualifying for San Diego. Uh, mm-hmm. I lost in the last round uh, prior to winning the invite in a Rakdos mirror. Okay. And I, I was picking up Rakdos as a means to try and get some more reps in before Atlanta. And the deck's fantastic. Um, the, the, the key takeaway I would look at for Rakdos is you are just playing the best cards across the board for their slots. When both people sit down, you draw a random seven, good chance your seven's just a better seven cards. Now, obviously, cards go over the top of you like mono green, but to me, Rakdos is a deck that high-skilled pilots, especially in an open deckless environment, will be able to leverage, and I would be shocked if there weren't at least a couple copies floating to the top 16, if not higher. What do you think the biggest weapons are against Rakdos like what do you think like really puts a hurt on like let's let's say for example like 20% of the field's Rakdos right like that's my prediction is I think that we're going to see a lot of Rakdos at the RC so what you're saying is you think it's going to be actually actually a higher percentage than of something like the SCG so the SCG was 17% Rakdos according to our uncorrected meta all those kind of normal things we have to say i mean i'll here is what i think it's going to be high teens i think it'll be i think we're actually going to see a more diverse meta at the rc i think what some decks we'll talk about later i think are real sleepers and i'm curious to hear what sky has to say about them but i think that um Rakdos will be extremely prevalent and I, what i really think is that a lot of people are going to audible to Rakdos last minute because i think it's safe and i think that that will hurt a lot of people because i think it's not as easy to play as it seems but like what do, what do you think people who sleeve up rakdos are, are fearing out there so there's a couple decks and a couple cards that you really don't want to see on rakdos and i certainly agree with you that i think people will pick up rakdos because it feels like the safe deck if you're a tourist and pioneer it's the deck you hear about it's the deck that a lot of popular streamers play a lot of and it does really well 
The problem becomes when you start facing some of the fringer decks that you don't have pre uh, prepared answers for. Things that go way over the top of you, like Enigmatic Incarnation, uh, the Karuga Fires decks. These decks that get to leverage free spells or engines that Rakdos can't two for one. You know, you try and two for one me, I'm going to 12 for one you. Right. Like, this engine goes forever. You know, it's the same thing that Mono Green gets to do, except it's a little less exploitable by removal, which is a big thing. Uh, one of the cards that saw a rise in popularity, both to fight Mono Green and Rakdos, was Sky Sovereign uh, Console Flagship. And the winner of the SEG Con actually played against Rakdos, Rakdos, and Rakdos in the top eight, or in the top 12. That was their their matchups. Wow, I did and, not realize that. Okay. And their, and, and their deck is built... So it was it was Gruul Aggro, or not Aggro, Gruul Vehicles, I guess is what people call that deck. And that deck runs four... Skyboat's main, I think. Uh, that's just kind of their thing. It used to. It's it's still on like three-ish, I think, but it, it's oscillated between three or four. But the, the key is that you play things like uh, Asika's Chariot. Well, that's that's really hard to one for one. You play Sky Sovereign. Well, that's going to kill your Planeswalker or kill your three drop. And then how are you going to answer it? Not too many clean answers. And then you get to play a Crow in War. You have a reflection of Kiki Jiki. That's mine now. There's there's a lot of tools to beat up on Rakdos. One of the things that that flies under the radar about it is that oftentimes those decks are going to be the sleeper picks, the things that are not at the top of the metagame, and they're going to have conditional matchups. It's the same thing as taking Mono Blue to a, an RC like this. If you think Mono Green will be the most represented and you play mostly against Mono Green, Mono Blue is a great choice. Same idea. If Rakdos ends up being the most played like it was in, in the SEG, you see someone show up and, and make it to those late rounds with Gruul Vehicles, you can get a clear path right to the trophy if you find the right matchups in the late stages. And I think that's a really a key point to figuring out the diversity of the RC is I think people are going to look for some of these paths of if these are the top three decks, what can I do the, to hedge two of them? You know, what can I have the best matchup against one of them and, and playable matchups against the others? That's awesome. Last question on Rakdos before we hop off of it. And we won't spend as long on every single deck promise we'll be here all night if we do any brothers war cards really grab your attention for this deck i don't remember seeing any personally but i'm just curious the biggest one is the upgraded lava coil that can also hit planeswalkers uh i don't know if again because of the prevalence of dread boar at a point they moved from you know two dread boars to just four just play the best removal spell play your terminate I don't know if there's room for it, but being able to have that effect that can hit a lot of green creatures as well. Um, a lot of decks have picked up Lava Coil to attack green, and so I think that's probably the best card that you're going to see. Um, the only other card that I think people have mentioned is the idea of Phyrexian oh, yeah. Flesh I'll, Gorger. I'll, yes, that's it. Uh, just as a means of being able to have a, a one uh, a 3 mana 3-3 three, three with Lifelink Menace that can also you know, deal you three if you try to target it uh, as a means to being able to have your own build your own worm coil in the mid to late game, as well as if you ever copy it with a reflection, the game gets very scary. Um, but yeah, those are really the only cards, but Rakdos didn't pick up too much, which given how much it picked up from Dominary United feels like it was probably a good balancing act. It didn't get much more. Oh, uh, sorry. And go for the throat. That was the last one. Because people were talking about running Go for the Throat over some of your uh, braids. But mm. at the oh, moment, no. 
a braid's in a really good spot because yeah. you gotta answer skyboat. Yeah, exactly. I saw we I think I saw one of a braids in in two or three of the top twelve Rakdos decks. So, you know, singleton main deck, maybe some in the side is yeah, it's a flexible and artifacts killing artifacts is always pretty good. Next deck we want to talk about is the third most registered deck at the SCG thirty K, and that is Is It Phoenix with thirty copies for 15% of the meta. Whoa, really? Is it Phoenix? Yes. I kind of overlooked that. Yeah, that's a huge comeback for is Yeah, it? it's a, especially for a deck that I think had fallen out of popularity for a good month or so there. I feel like people were not into it. You didn't see people posting about it on Twitter as much. It's the deck I've been playing lately. This deck is not different from what it was over the last couple of months. It's the same cards, you know, ever since they hit on the Galvanic Iteration plus um plus Temporal Trespass package. That's kind of the secret power in the deck. As you mentioned earlier, Sky, using Delve Spells is really what this deck is all about, because that's one of the unique things that is available in Pioneer. You all know what Phoenix is about. We started this podcast because we loved playing Is It Phoenix <laughs> in Modern basically four years ago, and here it is again. You know, it's not as powerful as it was in Modern, but it's certainly a very good deck, and it, I love casting Treasure Cruise. So... Here we are. And one thing that I was interested in that you mentioned earlier was that this deck is a, maybe a decent foil to mono green, but I'd love to know how you think it fits in alongside with the Rakdos as the two things. So for some reason, it's bubbled back up to the top of the meta, even though Rakdos is still there. I do think that matchup is not great, you know, especially there's a lot of, there's a lot of foils in the Rakdos deck. So what do you think about is it right now? So the big thing, and this is, you know, this is how magic goes in waves often with metagaming is the magic online championship uh, series is, is the highest level of tournament for magic online. And our new world champion is actually the back-to-back winner of the mocks uh, for the last two seasons. And in the last season, yeah, before he's the world champion, Stoyer, Stoyer's killing it. Stoyer, right? Yeah. Absolute monster. Uh, He's been playing Phoenix for a long time. And in the Mox finals, which was Pioneer, both players in the finals were on Phoenix. And Phoenix had died out for a little bit, like you said. And that was the moment that people sort of started saying, well, if these people are bringing Phoenix to such a high level event, well, it's a small field, maybe this, maybe that. Well, then they started bringing it back to challenges and things and it started picking up more wins. And the biggest thing is, you know, the Rakdos matchup isn't great, but it's playable, especially since people cut Leyline of the Voids. Your mono green matchup is very good, mainly because, again, you rely on your two drops as well as your phoenixes, and then you just sit back on counter spells. If you're able to apply any pressure and then have disdainful strokes, aether gusts, or spell pierces to keep the big haymakers off the field, they're just dead before they find time to find their footing. And then you get to play temporal trespass to really go over the top at the right moment. And Mono Green's not going to interact with you. So you get to see your whole deck almost every game and really craft the right game plan for the situation. Yeah, the only thing you have to keep in mind in that matchup, this is obvious to everybody, I'm sure, but as I've, as I've been playing lately, when the fact that they can go and fetch a Tormod's Crypt so easily is something that you have to work around really well. And you can't really stop that from happening in that matchup. So you sort of have to just prepare yourself, make them use it, and then be ready to recover is kind of the way that I found it to be the, the best way. So the big thing about the Tormont's Crypt, and this is this comes up a lot against some graveyard decks and not others, and I'm sure you guys have run into this a lot playing in a modern, is when you have access to delve spells and threats from your graveyard, you can sort of 
punish them if they do, punish them if they don't. If you pop the Tormont's Crypt immediately, well, they can't cast their Delve spells, but then you can use your discard outlets, things like that, to immediately put Phoenixes in the yard and recur them. If they wait to try and get your Phoenixes, you just cast your Delve spell. There's no interaction for that. You just, oh, there goes my graveyard anyway. I'll draw three. And so there's a lot of ways to punish the Tormont's Crypt, even though it, it should be really good, and at times it is, but a lot of times it's not quite enough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, that was the thing that I found recently was exactly what you're talking about. I'm just going to concentrate on drawing more cards then. I'm going to play Treasure Cruise. I'm going to try to Galvanic Iteration into a Temporal Trespass and take three turns instead. And then we're really going to see kind of what happens from there. Um, I did find a little bit that that matchup is is tough too sometimes because you can still get Storm the Festival out of nowhere a little bit. And if you don't have the right interaction up at the right time, you you can't be in trouble but it certainly felt like Phoenix has a great matchup there. And you still have the moments where you just really aggro people, you know, where you're just, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to turn four or whatever, a bunch of Phoenixes and you can't really stop me. So um, yeah, I've liked it pretty well. I mean, it's great to have a weapon like this that is strong against what's likely going to be one of the top decks in the room. Right. And I think Phoenix is one of those decks where it's like, a good, you know, good players deck or like people who feel like they want to have a lot of game. They make up, there's a lot of decisions, a lot of decision points. All the, the, like you mentioned, Sky, like sideboarding into a control strategy, sitting back on those counter spells and things like that and removal spells. And it really gets you a lot of flexibility in what your deck is even trying to do. Uh, and I think another important thing too, that we'll talk about um, and probably probably the next deck is like this deck also can be mono white aggro. And that's a strong point um, for it as well. Like why it might be good to, to bring to the, the tournament. Yeah. I mean the, the big thing in looking at Phoenix versus Rakdos, right? If you're thinking, you know, well, both get advantage by removing your opponent's creatures, both have some semblance of two or greater for ones, you know, why, why one versus the other? And the real answer is that what Phoenix does better than Rakdos against things like Mono White even is that it's able to close the door quickly without giving up any of that ground that Rakdos sometimes does. Because Rakdos's removal is very one for one. Same with Phoenix. You know, you're still playing the same red removal. But where Phoenix is able to, to generate advantages, you just draw enough cards that if that you never miss on that removal spell. Rakdos has a problem sometimes where you draw too many creatures when you need removal, too much removal when you need creatures. Phoenix gets to smooth that out. And like you said, a lot of really highly skilled players love this deck because if I told you you got to see 45 of your 60 cards every game, most skilled players would win a lot of games. And it really is every game. I mean, almost every game I play, I draw 40 50 cards like you almost always have to start thinking about like okay i i have to stop drawing cards because i'm gonna deck myself if i don't cut it out so exactly with your with your piece of the puzzle treasure cruise your ledger shredders drawing you cards thing in the ice is a means to reset boards you're just much more consistent and stable against the aggro decks and mono white aggro has a real tendency to be really really hard to put to bed they have a lot of cards that that buy back, that two-for-one back, you know, things like Extraction Specialist or, or can stop removal. Phoenix doesn't really care. They'll find more removal. You you get rid of my Fire Impulse? All right, I'll Lava Axe it. Having access to a lot of instant speed ways that can kill powerful creatures like Adeline, 
really makes it so that Phoenix has a great matchup into these aggro decks, where Rakdos has a good matchup, is the way I would put it. And there's different percentages across the board where Rakdos picks up some slots, but Phoenix is able to really beat up the aggro decks. Anything with the word spirits in it does not want to face, is it Phoenix? (laughs) Yeah. Any aggro deck dreads Phoenix. And that's a big reason if you think people will switch to aggro to beat mono green, Phoenix gets better and better each week. So why do you think Phoenix might be bad to bring to this tournament? Like, why would you not bring Phoenix? Why are you not bringing Phoenix for that matter? Yeah, I mean, so the three decks we've talked about, obviously, were on my short list, along with about two others uh, that we'll we'll talk about later. But the big thing with Phoenix is your Rakdos matchup is tough. And again, it's it's winnable. You can skill check your opponent, but at a big event with skilled players that are going to be prepared. This is a known quantity. It's been doing well lately. It's been putting up more finishes on Magic Online than either Mono Green or Rakdos in the last couple weeks. People are going to be prepared for this. And that is something, especially in an open deck list too, you can potentially exploit with some main deck cards like running Hearse main. Unlicensed Hearse started to see play in Rakdos decks main before when Phoenix got good. It can see that again as well as being able to have a lot of good game against the top decks, Phoenix sometimes struggles against some of the decks that will show up that are sleeper picks. You know, the biggest one to me is Lotus Field, which is another deck that's been creeping up very quietly, started to pick up a lot of finishes the last couple weeks. Lotus Field has one of its best matchups against you as Phoenix. If you sit down across from an Arclight Phoenix player, as a Lotus Field player, you can go to lunch. It is very hard to win. And so that's a that's a big reason is some of the decks that might start to see some play are creeping up and those hurt Phoenix. And to me, it's a great deck. But it definitely is is a little bit susceptible to people choosing to beat it. And that's scary going into a big event where people are going to target the top decks. Yeah. So what's your thought on this? Like, I'm, I'm thinking like probably one person in the top eight um, probably is on is the Phoenix. Do you think it doesn't even get there because of the rest of the meta? I think it's always a favorite to put up at least one. I think it's, you know, the the way I look at all of these top decks, like you were saying in the tier one decks, is they're all favored to put in one. If they put in two copies, it's most likely going to come down to what that last round pairing was. That's the the beauty and the tragedy of magic events is often it's one round that makes the difference between, you know, four X and top eight or four Y. But I think Phoenix is a lock to get one in. It'd be very tough to to come up with a metagame where Phoenix couldn't sneak in at least one copy. But it's it's the kind of situation where if the Rakdos decks get beat up, I wouldn't be shocked to see more copies. If the if the late rounds are a lot of aggro, Phoenix could clean, could clean sweep those slots and get in. Yeah. Ross Merriam was the one person in the SCG top eight with it, a friend of the show and well-known Phoenix player. Yeah, since uh, four years ago. Yeah. So speaking of aggro, and we talked about it in the Phoenix breakdown a little bit, we have mono white aggro. And you know, this is that one of those extremely low to the ground, go wide creature decks. It also can grow kind of tall. You're growing your creatures with your Thalia's lieutenants and your Luminarch aspirants, and you're taxing your opponent with like Thalia, Brood of Cathal is like your sort of removal type spell. And then you've mentioned Brave the Elements a couple times this pod, which is that one mana spell that gives all of your creatures protection from a color which gives you that alpha strike or protects you from a n- number of like removal spells if required, uh, like an anger of the gods. Um, if you know, they could protect yourself from something like that. And so this deck has 
positive game against Mono Green Devotion and has positive game, slightly less positive against Rakdos, but because it goes so wide, I think you know, it can really outrun Rakdos's one-for-ones uh, in terms of the removal spells. So it has good, good matchups against the two most popular decks in the meta. And based on the stats, it only has kind of a few natural predators in the format. And, you know, the mana's good. Um, but, like, I feel like Mono White has some particular weaknesses. And we've talked about Is a Phoenix just before this. Uh, and I have noticed that, you know, we've, we've noticed, we've talked about this, like the NRG events, the Mono White aggro win rates have been, like, 42, 45%. Like, and maybe this is just a blip of people who are like, I want the aggro deck but I'm not like the expert aggro pilot, or maybe it's just not quite as good as some previous stats indicated. Like, what are your thoughts on mono white sky? So for me, mono white aggro is a, a great deck that is often lacking the respect it deserves based on its finishes and its consistency. But just like you said, it's, it's in this weird spot where it keeps showing up, keeps doing well. And then it kind of has a couple bad weeks. And then it shows up and does well and then kind of has a bad week. And you're, you're always kind of wondering, is this the bad week? And the biggest problem is that it's dependent a lot around the metagame because it has such good matchups into mono green. But people have started to mitigate that. You know, we saw Lovestruck Beast start to see play in mono green because it makes a white creature. So now Brave the Elements, you just put it in front of Adeline and you're very unlikely to die. We've seen decks like Rakdos picking up their own copies of Sky Sovereign because it's colorless. It kills a creature and then can block another one. And even though you have a lot of good grinding abilities, you are still going to have trouble if they find the right combination of cards. And Mono White has no ability to filter. You are whatever you have is what you have. So there are going to be games yeah, it feels where your like opponent humans. has it. I mean, it is. I've played a lot of humans in modern, but like you show up, you put your hand down on the table and sometimes your opponent folds. And sometimes you just draw one too many lands, one too many one drops that don't do anything. They kill your big Adeline or you draw too many Brutal Cathars in a bad matchup. And all of a sudden you're on the back foot and you don't have any catch up mechanisms. So I, I like this deck a lot. It's really good at applying pressure linearly. If Phoenix wasn't going to be as popular as I suspect it will be, it'd be even higher in my, my estimations. But Phoenix is very tough. Ledger Shredder does a great job of just shutting down the early turns backed up by removal. And you're just constantly in a spot where if Brave the Elements is good, your deck's great. But when Brave the Elements is okay, a lot of times you have trouble crossing the finish line if your opponent is prepared and, and can interact. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of deck that like I'd probably pick to play and do really poorly with because like, you know, I just audible to aggro last minute and I feel like, you know, we're going to see some, I think, expert aggro mono white players show up. I wouldn't be surprised if like because of the popularity, I think we'll see of mono green and Rakto. So like we get one into like, you know, the, the top eight, top 12 ish area. Yeah, I mean, for example, Callan Pastor top eight at this tournament went seven and one with it day one at scg con definitely someone who i'm not sure if they're queued for atlanta for sure but the type of person who you could see just running it back the next the next week and giving another shot um yeah kellen's a great player and, and whenever you see really strong players uh pick up decks like this it's always you know i earmark it you know it's like you see someone like ross on phoenix you go oh, 
somebody tested for this event extensively and they picked yeah. this deck. That's a check mark. And, you know, Kellen, somebody, you know, I look at as a good deck selector, plays very well. It's a good note to, to be on humans. There have been a lot of really strong humans players in the last couple months picking up the deck and and bolstering its its credibility. It's just, it's scary to look down the barrel of Is It Phoenix and to know that both Mono Green and Rakdos are becoming more and more prepared for your deck. Yeah. There's, you know, I, one of the things with Mono Green, and it's the same with Mono White, because you're one color deck, your options are somewhat limited. If people start figuring you out, you don't have another trick to pull out your out of your sleeve. There's not some magical card that's going to solve your matchups if people are prepared for you because your range of tools are just limited. And I think Mono White falls in that same category where if people choose to put in better answers for their aggro matchups, you're going to really struggle. And Phoenix is inherently one of those things that does that for free. Yeah, I'm curious if we have a Selesnya deck that we'll talk about in kind of the sleepers later on that might do something similar but different. Yeah, I think we have one more deck to talk about before we take a break. Kind of if you look at SCG's meta from the 30k, you know, we talked about the four four of the the main decks that people registered in Rakdos midrange. Is it Phoenix, Monogreen Devotion, and Mono White Humans? I think the last one I would group in here is Obzon Greasefang your graveyard reanimation deck, it was registered by 17 people at the 30 case for 8.5%. It was actually a little a more than mono white humans. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. big, yeah. What, what was mono white at? Mono white was 12 players or 6%. So okay. in order, just as a refresher, SCG con was Rectus mid range at 18.5%. Phoenix at 15%. Mono green devotion at 16.5%. Obzon grease fang 8.5 mono white humans at six. So see that see, together see, I, is, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even want Obzon to be in these like this top four because I, I don't think it's I don't think it's very good. That's why I want before we moved on. I was going to ask Sky if if you know you thought anything should be in this sort of top area of the meta game. So it it's tough because it's not obviously a very played set of decks, but I think there's there's two decks I would I would wager are on their way there if they're not there already, and that's. Uh, Karuga Fires and Celesnia Angels. Oh, I think spoilers! Those two decks are are maybe on the come up. Yeah, I mean Angels in particular, and we can talk about Angels now before we talk about Abzan if if you guys want no, to. That, that, let's just get this out of the way because I don't like this deck very much. But, all right, it seems like nobody does. Grease Fang, fill the graveyard, get stuff back out of the graveyard. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Grease Fang is one of those cards that you read it, you play against it once, and you immediately know exactly how the gameplay is going to play out. And you're not thrilled about it, at least yeah. if you're me. Yeah. I mean, Daryl Ayers did top four the SCG event on, on Grease Fang this weekend. Doesn't, not a particularly different kind of build there, which is fine. You know, the deck is doing what it needs to do. Um, yeah, I mean, this deck can grind, right? Like, it has just a lot of, it has a lot of cards that do the same thing. As a, as a lot of rule of eights going on, as a lot of ways to fill the graveyard, as a lot of ways to recur things out of the graveyard to recur grease fang. So, like for me, it's like, well, if there's no graveyard hate or perhaps artifact removal, it seems like it should be powerful and consistent. Um, but it's like it doesn't ever seem like it actually does that. Like the the win rates are fairly low across the field. Um, like, how do you think someone like Daryl? is winning with Abzan Grease Fang? Like, is it just like getting the right matchups or is like, how do you play this deck to win, Sky? 
So there's three major Grease Fang archetypes. There's Esper, Mardu, and Abzan, and they all sort of do slightly different things. So if you if you break it up into most consistent to get a turn three Parhelion, best if you don't get a turn three Parhelion, and best in the face of disruption, you sort of see why people choose each of the three. Abzan is the best at consistently turn threeing a Parhelion. It is it is able to regularly dump enough cards in the graveyard and find a, a Grease Fang. It is able to fight through hate very well, thanks to Witherbloom Command, Terra Sunder, and cards like that. Where it's the weakest of the three is that it's not very good at grinding in the terms of the rest of the format. If you're slow on your Grease Fang, a lot of times you're just not winning that game. And the biggest problems you're going to face, and again, stop me if you've heard these cards before, Karn the Great Creator and Rending Volley. Rending Volley out of Rakdos Midrange, Rending Volley out of Gruel Boats, Rending Volley out of every red deck. People are playing up to four of them. Super popular now, more than ever. Yep, that just one mana shoot down a Grease Fang is not something you want to be playing against. And Karn the Great Creator turning off your boats, getting Tormod's Crypts, decks playing Graveyard Hate to deal with Izzet Phoenix means their splash damage onto Grease Fang with hearses and rest in pieces floating around. Leyline Bindings are floating around, being able to hit your Grease Fang or your boats, or sorry, your uh, Parhelions. It's, it's kind a of a boat that, too. It's okay. They're boats. Yeah. They're all boats. It's just the War Cruiser version. But the the biggest problem is that you'll see very skilled pilots be able to navigate some of the tougher games. And I'm, I'm sure that's what happened with, with Daryl is it's one of the best decks in the format if it works on turn three. Very few decks can stop at turn three. It has a really good Rakdos matchup game one because you actually don't have a lot of instant speed removal that can just that can kill a Grease Fang on turn three. You get to play a lot of discard to kind of clear the path. So skilled pilots with it make the best of awkward situations as well as just getting free wins, which is how someone like Daryl is able to do quite well in an event like this. If you if you are able to find the right spots for your thought seizes, take out your opponent's Karns, it's very easy to see how you steal games and win. The problem is that it doesn't have a great success rate if there's any stumbles, and a lot of the format has stumbles. Rending Volley, Lightning Axe, any Graveyard Hate, Karn the Great Creator. The list goes on long enough that it's a very scary thought to bring it to a big event. Yeah. When you li- when you list it out like that, it's a lot more cards. And it, it's from different angles, right? It's like, stop things from having their activated abilities from working, attack your graveyard, instant speed creature removal, like all of those things uh, hit the deck in different ways. Definitely understand why people might be down on this. Why don't we take a break for a minute, and then we'll come back and talk about some of the decks that you were starting to hint about, and also some of the other sleepers that are left in the, in the format. Stay with us. So, David. Shane, it's that magical time of year. It, what, what time is that? It's time for seasonal product specials from many brands that we love, including our favorite <laughs> skincare and shaving brand, Barrister Man. Is that right? I mean, Dave, you are right. You took the words out of my mouth because you know you know what I do every, before every episode is I go on Barrister and Man's website, which is uh, Barrister and com, and I see what's going on with new products, what's going on on the blog, and I noticed that Vespers is back. And Dave, do you know what Vespers is? 
Other than a time that monks said prayers at night, I believe. Oh, you're right. That is that's like an actual term. I mean, not surprising coming from Will Overson Barrister and Man, always doing something uh, topical and relevant. But Vespers is, I believe, based on both the packaging and description and scent uh, profile, is kind of a holiday fragrance. And so let, let me let me talk about this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because this, Tell me I about actually it. Take need me to trans- get a sample bar of this. Because importantly, importantly, they have the reason we're talking about this is there are sample bars now available of both Vespers and Smoking Bishop. And what Smoking Bishop Vespers. as well? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was my fa- that's my that's my favorite '90s band was kind of like you know a little like speaking you know the speak singing which I don't love usually but I do love in Smoking Bishops. I mean the Smoking Popes were one of my favorite bands though. It's so close yeah, to the same thing. They just they didn't <laughs> talk sing though. They he sounded like Morrissey. So I I was going through the we list of shows. We don't like Morrissey shows. by the way, so don't don't email yeah, to- us. But but the, total, the sound total is okay. side note, Dave. Yeah, side note, Dave. Yeah, I was I was talking to my brother. He's a year and a half younger than me, mm-hmm. and we grew up in Cleveland, of course. And he stayed in Cleveland longer than I had. Uh, longer than I did after I went to gra- uh, undergrad in Cincinnati along with you. And we were talking about all the shows that we saw in Cleveland, and I was trying to figure out what was my first show that I saw in Cleveland unchaperoned. Okay. Because I know my first concert overall, which is Bobby McFerrin, which ruled, that does by rule. the way. Bobby, Bobby McFerrin, I mean, I don't know if all y'all are McFerrin heads out there, but the the dude can sing. Mine was hard. Um, we got to get through this, though. This is an ad drop for Barrister no. Man. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so Smoking Bishop and Vespers. Vespers is... Uh, Velvety darkness, mm-hmm. La- layering of cranberry, cardamom, balsam, and fern accord with patchouli, rose, sandalwood, and bergamot to round it out. And that sounds great. I want to get that. If you want to get that, you can get the sample bar for a low, low price over a Barrister and Man, along with Smoking Bishop, which is another holiday type fragrance of wine orange grapefruit vanilla this sounds like simon's bar in in uh in chicago mm, by the way yeah when you want it to, when you want some glog wine orange grapefruit vanilla cinnamon nutmeg and pipe tobacco that sounds dope too i'm assuming that we will get some of this from will over barrister and man uh we'll we'll keep you updated yeah we're gonna get it because i'm gonna buy it that's why i mean that's a very good point and if you want to buy this and if you want 15% off your first order, if you want someone to get you a holiday, a Thanksgiving present, perhaps, go over to Barrister and Man. Use code the Dive Down 15 for 15% off your first order. Again, if you're a returning customer, let them know in the comments so uh, Will and the team over there know that you're coming back through us. Uh, we appreciate you checking out the site, thinking about some upcoming holiday purchases for you and yours. And yeah, let them know you came through us. Take care. Before the break, we started. We've mentioned this deck sort of a few times. Uh, I think Stan actually got a league in with it, but unfortunately, he's not here with us. But we have been talking about and seeing Karuga Fires uh, make a little bit of a surge in the metagame. And this is more or less kind of like a mid rangey, slower mid rangey decks. And then it builds up to Fires of Invention, of course, a card, of course, many of us have seen in Pioneer Explorer. Uh, and that just goes over the top. 
of the opponent's game plan. You know, generate so much mana, so much card advantage. You can get like some sort of like quasi combos built into the deck. It has a lot of really good removal, things like Leyline Binding, Supreme Verdict, Anger of the Gods, uh, Stomp slash Bonecrusher Giant. Then you get to play the really big haymakers like Omnath and Karuga and Cavalier and Kenrith. And so like you get to play a lot of good cards, but of course there's some weaknesses to the deck. Um, and have you played a lot of this, Sky? Have you played any Karuga Fires or faced it down or know much about this deck? So I played it a few times. I, I played a couple leagues, played through on Magic Online, got some four ones with it. And I've, I've been working with uh, Island Gosame, who's another Pioneer streamer, uh, who's been doing a lot of work on this deck, especially when it first came out. Uh, and so I've been back and forth with, with a lot of the changes. And it was very impressive uh, as far as decks that kind of came out of nowhere. It felt like one day we woke up and it just existed. But I think uh, the banning of Yorian actually, I think, inspired this deck. Yeah, just like in, in modern. modern, yeah. Because people started playing Karuga in modern again. And, you know, oftentimes people look at modern to, to influence their pioneer deck building decisions. And surprise, there's a hippo. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about it? Like, do you respect this deck? Is it like on, you think it's, was it on your short list? Like, is, you know, what are the weaknesses that you were afraid of? Yeah, I mean, honestly, this was was one of my last short lists to get cut, and it was definitely the the least of the main meta deck, uh, meta game decks that were likely to make the list, and that's just because the powers of fire is invention. You know, being able to get a tool like Leyline Binding from this last set did wonders, but another big tool it got was Temporary Lockdown. You, know, you think about these decks that play Karuga that have to leverage sort of cheating on mana, right? Bone Crusher costs three, but it really costs two. Leyline Binding costs six, but it really costs one. What you're able to do is go over the top of, of Mono Green and uh, Rakdos pretty easily through your use of Fires, Cavalier of, of Flames, and Kenrith to be able to just kill someone very quickly once you have your engine online, as well as control their board. Where you struggle is that you're a clunky Fires of Invention deck that really needs to find the right tools in the right spots. Seeing an increase in temporary lockdowns, up to four of, four leyline bindings, four supreme verdicts between the main and the sideboard, gave you a lot of ability to fight the aggro decks, but you did still continue to run into problems if people were able to get through that first piece of interaction. Once you got your fires down, the deck is fantastic. I mean, I don't think anyone needs to convince people that cheating on mana is, is easy to win with, but... You're able to draw a ton of cards, get a ton of leverage, and power through your big things. And honestly, I think if I had another week or two with Brothers War, this would probably be the deck that would be the closest for me to play outside of green, just because the power level's there. Like, the power level's very high, and Karuga drawing four or five cards is hard to beat. But the the risk of your mana base and the risk of not having the right tools at the right time is... It's a little scary for a week one tournament. I think if, if Atlanta was in a week or two, I'd be very interested in this deck. Yeah, it's like typical control deck things. Where like you don't want to go into a fresh meta with the control deck, right? Where like your you know, fifty-five through sixtieth cards are still debatable and you don't want to mess those slots up. Exactly. And I mean the, the biggest thing about it is that you can close the door really quickly because Kenrith's incredible. 
And in a five color deck, you haven't lived till you've gotten to rebuy your opponents, you know, or not rebuy your opponents because your opponent would get the creature back. Uh, rebuy your own creatures from the graveyard with your mana that you just have kicking around because you're a fires deck. You know, you get to close the door very quickly, which is the one thing that control decks don't have in the early weeks. But like you said, it's scary to walk into a field with open deck lists and say, I am not going to do anything until turn two or three, most likely three. Hmm. I hope you don't kill me. Right. I hope you're not braving the elements yeah, uh, on that turn. All right, what's next? Gruel vehicles do we want to talk about, or do we want to talk about angels? Two kind oh, of... These are the oh, decks ahead. we're going towards now, huh? Just like we're going straight to the weird sleepers. I, I think so. I think these are the decks that are on the on the up right I mean, now. We, did, we, they, we saw them, what, in the top 12 slash top 8 of the, the tournament this weekend, right? Well, and Selesnya Angels has had two back-to-back finishes where I think that somebody... It was the winner of the energy... 5k i believe pioneered the week before last and then also this tournament as well it went it didn't it, it won and also went 8-0 or it didn't win gruel vehicles won but i think that i think the the Celestia angels pilot went 8-0 day one as well i thought i got to escape this deck after i stopped playing a lot of like historic but apparently not so tell me tell me a little bit about this deck in pioneer y'all so unfortunately you can't ever escape it Angels is going to keep <laughs> keep haunting you, but this deck does exactly what it says on the tin as far as you think angels, you think life gain, you think flyers, you get to play early creatures that lock up the board. High toughness specifically is important with this deck. All of your creatures build on each other, gaining extra life, being able to make them massive with some of your big payoffs, and then your collected company deck. So you just get to throw a ton of free creatures into the battlefield and overwhelm your opponent. And this deck has been proving week in and week out that it's been doing better and better because it has a lot of the tools that attack the top of the metagame. Yeah, what deck do you think this is weak against? Is this weak to Mono Green because Mono Green can kill them a different way? Or kind of what, what do you think is the big vulnerability here that would be exploited if a lot of people brought this? So Mono Green's in a weird spot with it because if you don't find exactly Righteous Valkyrie... Uh, the three mana angel that pumps all your other angels. Right. A lot of times they can't close the game fast enough and then mono green can kill you with the combo. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But Righteous Valkyrie by itself almost instantly makes all of your creatures huge. Just impossible to survive. And so if you're able to to get turns early with Giada plus uh, Righteous Valkyrie, you can beat mono green very easily. And Giada does a really good job of pumping up the rest of your creatures where I'd say you struggle the most is against Is It Phoenix. Again, Rakdos also has a similar situation where you can pick off that Righteous Valkyrie, pick off that Key Angel, and then, then you have some kind of mopey creatures kicking around. But they're still winnable because you have these big flyers that can block Is It Phoenix cards. It really does come down to a lot in those kind of matchups, the fact that you do get weaker and weaker as the game goes on. And if you happen to run into the Rogue Control deck, you're in a very bad spot. Because things like Supreme Verdict are backbreaking for this deck. You don't have a lot of ways to protect against it. But you're able to do a really good job of beating Rakdos when you're able to leverage your sideboard cards and your collected companies. All the aggro decks struggle when you gain 30 life a game. Yeah, exactly. And having a ton of flyers means you're already advantaged against some of the other decks like Mono Green if they aren't able to take out your Valkyrie. So, so, so do you think that given what's gone on with this the last couple of weeks, we're going to see a notable amount of this deck 
at the tournament for what it's worth this was not one of the more frequently registered decks at scg for example it seems like people are still hesitating a little bit to pick it up but with the results of the last couple weeks it feels like it might get on some people's radars so i think this is one of those decks that feels bad to say you're registering (laughs) i i like i don't know if there's there's an equivalent in modern but it's sort of that feeling of like you have every card available to you and you're gonna play angels like it's it's just like are you really trying to your best to win this event but in reality, the deck's very good. It's just has a pretty bad rep because for a while it wasn't very good. You know, a lot of decks were able to beat it up pretty good. And one of the key additions that we've been seeing in some of these builds that did do well at the energy and this SEG is Sarah Paragon and adding in another four drop that can give you recursive value that helps you beat up some of these two for one decks has actually solved a lot of the problems in your game once being able to buy back that righteous Valkyrie. That is the key component of you going over the top. It's really hard for decks to kill it twice, especially you have this lightning rod sitting right here that you have to kill on sight. And so I think Angels won't be a huge metagame share, but it's one of those decks that I could easily see it finding some good pairings in the early to mid game of the tournament. And then you can make a run. And that's exactly what happened at the energy. Awesome. All right. Last deck that I think almost made it on your list. Correct me if I'm wrong. Gruel Vehicles. So this is the winning deck from SCG. Yeah, the the winning deck, Gruel Vehicles. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. This is one of those decks that I think if, if people weren't paying close attention to Magic Online, which, you know, sometimes Magic Online is ahead of the curve. Sometimes it's, you know, playing at a, a metagame that isn't what people bring to paper. But Gruel Vehicles has been slowly putting up a lot of results week in and week out. It's It kept creeping up. And the thing is that when I talked about earlier, Sky Sovereign being this big counter to Rakdos, and having a, a lot of effect against mono green, people were like, what if we just put aggro cards with this? And the answer was Gruel Vehicles. And this version started to, to bring in the Acroan War, which originally was in the sideboard. Uh, and being able to play those copies main, most decks have these key big creatures and you just steal them and then you're able to kill them off when you before you return them. And a lot of times this Gruel deck is able to get ahead on board and then close you out with vehicles that are hard to answer. And just like Rakdos, we were talking about if you're two for one of your opponent, eventually they run out of stuff. How hard is it to keep up with a Seekus chariot into boat into steal your thing? All of a sudden you're dead. There's just no more room to play with. Yeah. Especially with people. Now the card that really stood out to me when I started seeing these lists, as far as something really interesting to go with all these vehicles is the reckless storm seeker as a card that can, you know, you, you need to use a couple of creatures to equip, uh, to crew with this, but it does give your vehicles haste. And so being able to drop Sky Sovereign, crew it and give it haste and give it plus, plus one, plus O as part of that whole thing, that's pretty unreal. I've played against, you know, Stormseeker a few different times in limited and in formats on arena mostly. Card has always impressed me as, as just kind of a way to make a deck like this go faster. You know, a Gruul deck that can be kind of mopey sometimes just be able to go push forward because of the uh, the haste yeah i mean look at grease fang right you get a lot of your value from your asika's chariot coming in and then immediately attacking or your parhelion or your boats coming in this does the same thing dealing six damage to across two creatures and getting to attack for six or seven if you can you know put the plus on there is a lot to, on one turn being able to immediately get an extra cat off your chariot 
And one of the things that has come up a lot when I've been seeing this deck is, is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. You want to talk about a, a combo. If you have Reflection of Kiki Jiki, whether, you know, some decks were playing it earlier uh, for yourself or if you've a Crone Ward it, if you play, if you have a Stormseeker out, you have haste on that thing. All of a sudden, you're just stealing their Reflection, copying your own thing, and they're even further behind. It's It's... A deck of a lot of pieces that already existed just put together in a way that's really good into the current metagame. And that's, you know, sometimes the best kind of deck. Do you think that, like, I feel like a deck like this is like an like a pioneer format enthusiast deck that's also, like, trying to predict a metagame. And so I, I just don't know how many people are going to pivot to a deck like this, even though it just won the the, the SCG in, in Philly. But, like, do you think it's better than people realize it is and like it sort of doesn't look like it should be winning but it just it, it does for very good reasons 100 percent. like you look at this pile of cards and it's it feels like it's nothing new right you're just a pile of gruel aggro cards and and that deck has been beaten out of this format over and over again we talked about rakdos we talked about is it phoenix absolutely love to see a good gruel aggro deck put in front of them but then you start putting these vehicles in, you start putting lava coils in to deal with the opposing big green creatures, and all of a sudden it kind of shifts, and I, I think you're right. I think this is a deck that people who pay close attention to the format, who are entrenched in the content creators of Pioneer, know this deck. They've seen it. It's been a couple weeks since it broke out. But if you aren't one of those people, if you're someone who's just like kind of casually plays Pioneer, maybe you queued for this RC off of Modern, and you're kind of waiting to see what shakes out, I would put pretty low odds that you're ready and prepared for this deck to be a top contender or a deck you can put together in a week. Yeah, I, I this is like a deck that I'm interested in, and like I have, that's like I looked at it, and I have a, I have a, a lot of the cards, but it's like, man, do I want to buy like fifty bucks of Reckless Stormseekers? I'm not so sure because uh, I was like, I, I should have one Pioneer complete new updated Pioneer deck for this tournament. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm into it. If it, if it does show up, I'm all for it. And, and so I'm hopeful to see some, some gruel cards, take some things down, even if it does involve eight elves, which I think any gruel deck should, if you can play it in pioneer, can we talk about, can we talk about my, my sleeper, my sleeper choice for the format and, and the deck that I'm continue? like, why is no one playing this? And it's Lotus field. You know, you probably know what Lotus field does. Um, I barely do. But it involves, you know, Lotus Field copying it with Thespian Stage, casting a bunch of stuff and untapping your Lotus Fields. And then you get to do some wild stuff. Like you get to get Omniscience into play. Like you get to cast Emergent Ultimatum. You get to uh, win through Approach of the Second Sun shenanigans. Uh, you get to tutor up stuff. It's like there's, there's, a, there's a lot of bonkers stuff you can do when you have uh, essentially unlimited various color uh, pieces of mana and Lotus field has done this for a long time, but I think Lotus field has gone from this needs a nerf or it needs a ban to effectively forgotten about in pioneer. And then I look at like these stats and I'm like, why? Because like it has average to great matchups against much of the field, an overall win rate over 50%. It has strong matchups into Mono White and Rakdos and Is It Phoenix and Obzon Greasefang and Banned Spirits. It's tough to really interact with this deck. Um, and it has like sideboard alternate win cons. So Sky, why is this deck bad? Why should I why should I not be playing this deck if I'm going to this tournament? 
So I, I agree that I think it is a little bit of a sleeper that's been picking up percentages in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I would I would say that I think the matchups across the board are generally pretty strong, uh, especially for skilled players. It's a, it's a deck that has a high barrier to entry. You have to one, learn the full combo, learn all, all the elements. And the combo is a little bit more difficult, uh, especially in the face of things like Thalia needing to know how to, to do your mana math and things like that. And it's not a deck people like to pick up right away. It's a deck that I think a lot of people take some time to warm up to as, as both a combo deck and an uninteractive one at that. But you're able to generally beat Rakdos. Like you're very happy to sit across from Rakdos. You're generally able to destroy Is it Phoenix. It's one of your best matchups. You're great into non-interactive decks. A deck like Greasefang has trouble racing you. Where you tend to struggle is you can find some some issues against the Spirits decks that do show up from time to time. But again, with Is It Phoenix and Rakdos being popular, those are, are on the downtrend. And Mono Green Devotion is actually kind of a scary matchup. Mm. Uh, I've played a lot of both of these decks. For a while, when Basaiju was printed, it felt like, okay, Karn is going to go get Damping Sphere, I win the game. And then they Sylvan Scrying for Basaiju, kill your Damping Sphere, and then the game's back on. And then you go get Godfarah statue. And then they go get another Basaju. And hopefully in the time that all this happened, as Mono Green, you've won the game. The way it's shaken out is that Lotus Field, very skilled pilots are able to generally beat up the Karn targets that you get. Where it comes down to the problem is that you're still a turn slow because you have to take that turn off to kill the Karn target. So if they have a fast hand that has either the combo or just a lot of pressure, you're still falling behind. And so it makes mono green tough. Even even in the best pilot's hands, having that one extra turn can make a difference for Lotus Field because you're generally a turn five combo deck and mono green can sometimes just get there a turn faster than you if you have to take a turn off. That's wild. That's wild to hear. Dave, how did this deck do uh, in Philly? We had one person in the top eight with this, Adam Becker on Lotus Field was in the fifth through eighth slot. So we had some people. And how about it. how about overall? Overall meta share was pretty low. It was actually less than five copies. So it was less than oh, less wow. than two percent of the meta in this particular. Yeah, people one. just don't like this deck. I mean, yeah. Which is even weirder, honestly, because it's one of the challenge decks that you could get. Not all of it, but quite a bit of it came in that deck that came out last year as a pre-con. So, you know, its entry point is pretty cheap, too. I actually wrote an article on on that a while ago. And and as far as challenger decks go, if you wanted to get from out of the box to as close to the real thing as possible for as cheap as possible, Lotus Field was the best. If you drop the two Besejus, it's under $100 to get from box to tier one. But... The, uh, the big thing about it is this weekend in the Magic Online Challenges, Lotus Field put up a top eight in both days. It it has been creeping its way up. I think it is heavily underplayed because people don't like the deck. They don't want to learn the deck. And when it's bad in the metagame, it's nearly unplayable. So it's a deck a lot of people shy away from. You know, the opposite of Rakdos. Rakdos is always playable, sometimes great, sometimes okay. Lotus Field, sometimes amazing, sometimes unplayable. And the biggest thing to me is like, when you play against the rogue aggro deck, the one that's, you know, the mono reds of the world, suddenly you're in real, real tough territory. And, and we saw a Tarka red, which is a deck that I don't, don't think we're mentioning very much, 
but it showed up and put this deck in the dirt for a minute. And people sort of, you know, as a Tarka Red got dropped for Gruel Vehicles, Gruel Vehicles is a step slower, a step bigger, able to fight on even footing with some of the other decks. It does mean Lotus Field has less Predators in the metagame. Yep. Yeah, it's really interesting. We we actually don't have any mono red, Tarka red or mono red on on our list to talk about. They have not been performing well for what it's worth recently. I don't think that there's a lot of people who are thinking about who would be thinking about taking those in. But you know, there's always people who want to play aggressive red decks. The tools in Pioneer are decent for aggressive red decks, led of course by Monastery Swift Spear and some other things like that. But um. Yeah, it's interesting that when we were putting together this rundown for this show, we were kind of like didn't even didn't even cross our minds. Uh, talk about another deck that I think. So we're kind of rounding rounding the corner here. We got a couple of decks left to talk about. Azorius Control, Bant Spirits, and Racksack were three decks that we had on our list that are kind of old stalwarts of the um, the format. Extremely different decks, of course. <laughs> Um, where do you think Azorius Control is? You know, we were talking earlier about how you don't want to go into week one of a meta with the control deck necessarily, even in a case where you have open deck list and you might have some idea of how to what you're going for in game one. W- what do we think about this deck right now? So Blue Light Control has been in a weird spot for a while now, where the last couple of weeks it's been Demir Control picking up more slots than Blue White Control, thanks to you know, some innovations from uh, Gabriel Nassif and some of the other uh, French pros who play a lot of blue-black control online. But the biggest problem, just honestly, you have a bad matchup into Mono Green, you have a bad matchup into Rakdos, and you have a bad matchup into Mono White. And that's a lot of the metagame. You're, you're really good into decks that want to attack those decks. Like, you're a great metagame choice if you think everyone's trying to, like, level those three decks. But in Pioneer, that's just too much of the field to give up percentage against. You just can't go into a tournament down against the best three decks or three of the best decks yeah, in the for, format. For what that for what it's worth, those three decks that you mentioned at SCG were forty two percent of the meta. So I mean that's a huge portion. How do you want to sit down across from somebody and you know four times out of ten you just get to go home? That's not a not a winning strategy for most most people. And you know it's it's a deck that has very little forgiveness and very little leeway already add that into having that many bad matchups and you know blue white's been in an awkward spot for a little while in pioneer and and unless those three decks suffer a little bit it's not going to get much better and the bolstering of visit phoenix is a, a nicety because you can at least compete on that axis but it's just too much of the field for me if you're looking at three top decks how about spirits so we talked about spirits being something that comes back over and over again mono blue is really popular and fashionable and pioneer for a I mean, while. They are ghosts, Dave. They are ghosts. They are ghosts. So they do come yeah, back. Yeah, they come back all the time. That's right. So Mono Blue, really popular for a while. And then we've seen this shift lately to people playing Bant Spirits so they can get bigger creatures and also use uh, Collected Company. What do we think about this right now? Yeah, I mean, the the biggest benefit to Spirits, and this is both for, for Mono Blue and Bant, was always that you have a crushingly good matchup into Mono Green Devotion. You know, if you sat down across from from an opponent and they played Forest Elf, you were just pumping your fist. You were ready for the buy. This was your easy matchup, and that's still true. You know, it still does a great job of beating up on, on Mono Green, even with some of the tools that it's adopted. But the problem is, and, and why Mono Blue Spirits fell off so much, is that with the rise of Rakdos and Is It Phoenix, 
and specifically rending volley there's a lot of of ways to kill your spirits and break up your your ability to fight on the board bant started seeing play because it had better game against that removal but if if you had to line up one deck you don't want to face when you're playing spirits it's is it phoenix and we've talked about how that's on the rise and Unfortunately, all the Spirits decks have a really, really hard time breaking through a Ledger Shredder. A 1-3 that gets bigger just outsizes your whole board. And if you're a tempo aggro deck and you can't get through their 2-drop, and they have better late game and better removal, uh, it's it's hard selling me on on why that deck would, would make it to the top tables. Yeah, I'm sad because I'm a, I loved playing Spirits for a while, but it, it is what it is. It's, it's just not the right time for that. And similarly, I think that the last deck on that list, Rakdos Sack... You know, you put in our notes kindly that you wouldn't be playing this deck if there was a lot of monogreen devotion around. I assume that's because you don't want to play against Karn with this because uh, of it turns off your artifacts. I'm sure there's some other reasons as well. But um, this is another deck that seems to be bubbling below the surface that was good 18 months ago, but now not particularly interesting or good. What are you grinding against with this deck? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, aggro is primary is out of the format in a lot of ways uh, besides maybe flying aggro and you're not going to stop that anyway and so like you know back when i was really playing arena and like you know i'm playing aggressive decks because that's what i like doing it's like oh my gosh i do not want to go against a Iraq or a jun sack because like they're just going to stop me and i'll grind me incredibly but like i just don't see where the angle is for this deck in the format as the way the format has shaped out. Like I, I always think like I bought into a lot of the Junsack pieces because I was like, I think that this deck has legs. I think a lot of great players are really good with sack decks. Like you see someone like, uh, you know, ever aspiring spike is just like, these are the kind of decks that he just lives for like in modern and things like that. But I just don't see where this has an opening in pioneer right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing it has going for it is that you are favored in Rakdos midrange. And that was always the, the thing it, it hung its hat on, was that in the Rakdos fight, you were the better deck at grinding, you were the better deck at, at having hard to answer permanence. But then you start looking at everything else. Like you said, you know, Mayhem Devil is great at shooting things out of the sky, but even then, it's not so great once they start having high toughness, or if they're in the Bant Spirits field, being able to just Coco through you. When you start looking at the mid-range decks, a lot of them are able to close faster than you can, so the grinding elements aren't that important. And your artifacts that are recursive, people are playing abrades and other ways to answer you. And then you look at mono green. Like you said, Karn's a big hitter. They had to switch the entire deck from Onicult Anvil to now using more uh, uh, active treason effects uh, to be able to even make that matchup remotely playable. It used to be just Karn was a hard lock. Now it's playable, but again, I was talking about how decks don't want to go late against Karn, because Storm the Festival, Karn, Kiora, the combo, Rakdos Sacrifice can only go late. Unlike Rakdos Midrange, one of the ways that you're able to pivot to try and fight against a lot of decks like Mono Green is pivoting to aggro. Sacrifice doesn't have that option. You're, you're 2-1 note, and there's enough ways to stop you. That while this deck can always spike an event, especially if you find your way into more of the mid-range matchups, it's not very likely in a room full of of things that are able to interact with you or mono green. All right, and there's a quick tour around Pioneer. Quick, you know, quick as our episodes oh ever ever are. Any any decks that you want to throw out there that we should be aware of before we hop off of this train, Shane? Anything else that you want to want to put out here as we're looking at decks? Or I don't. 
I don't personally think so. Like I'm kind of looking at the, you know, it's amazing what happened to red. Like I feel like just a, a, a few months ago, like we were seeing some of the best players in the room, uh, bringing red for their team trios decks. And now red is kind of nowhere. Um, you know, we know kind of like the fate of heroic. I'm, I'm curious if that's like over, like maybe like the people are overcorrecting. I don't know. Like I, just, I, I kind of always wonder. Like, are people overcorrecting against what like the perceived meta? Where it's like, hey, Rakdos beats heroic, but like, you know, how much are we talking here? But I don't know. I'm, I'm more curious about hearing a little bit more from Sky as the expert in the room than me blabbering about about like my guesses. Maybe, maybe mono black. Like, bring mono black back. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, those those are fan favorites of mine with heroic. But yeah, I, I think you're right that people uh, overcorrect a lot. Once you hear Rakdos is a bad matchup, you say, okay, put it in the bin. But the other problem is that with Is It Phoenix coming back, you now have two bad matchups. So it again, like with Mono Green protecting Rakdos, adding Is It Phoenix to the mix tends to push out a lot of the low to the ground aggro decks. But the one I actually am really interested to see if we see any copies is Is It Creativity? Uh, this has been seeing a lot of play online because it beats both Mono Green and Rakdos where you're basically dead in the water is against control because Dovin's Veto is just a, an absolute disaster for you. But like we said, if Azorius is looking real bad, that's a big part of your, your tough matchup out of the field. And then the other thing you struggle against is some of the aggro decks, but you're able to clean that up a little. And I've been interested in Portal to Phyrexia as a potential uh, creativity target where you can either play the combo with World Spine Worm and Xenagos, or you play Fre- Portal to Phyrexia, wrath their board, and then take their creatures and just leverage your non-creature answers as a way to end the game. So I, I think that's my my last, like, it was a deck that served me quite well in testing uh, a while ago, but it's a it's a deck that has good legs against both Rakdos and Mono Green, and that's, that's enough of a reason for me to pay attention to it. For sure. What do you think about the Grinning Ignis combo? Uh, we've heard, I think, some people on the, the Discord mentioning it. Is this, a, is this a real thing, or is it kind of a meme? So it's topping at a couple of Magic Online challenges, and it's, it's shown up here or there. Uh, I know it's, it's also popular in Explorer as well on Arena, but the biggest problem with it right now is that dying to Pithing Needle uh. at a mono green is, is a problem. And with a lot of abrades floating around, the fact that it cleanly answers both Bergy and the Hazardous Monument means that post-board against decks like Is It Phoenix and Rakdos, they're going to have ways to stop you from comboing. And then you're just a, a kind of grind them out mid-range creature deck. And we both we all know how that goes against Rakdos and, and Is It Phoenix. So I, I think it has the potential, especially to steal games. I would certainly not recommend bringing it to an open decklist tournament. But for your local events, it is a fun one that I have played a little bit and, and can definitely steal some games uh, if people don't know what's going on. Awesome. Right on. All right, last question that I have. We talked about all these decks. We talked about some Brothers War stuff. What's one surprising thing about Brothers War that you think people will see at the RC that maybe maybe isn't on the radar quite yet? <laughs> So one of the first things I looked at, uh, and maybe it's it's just the brewer in me, but I, I like to think when a new set drops, we all have that one card that sticks with us is like, I just want to make it work. Uh, the meld pair of Mishra and the dragon engine 
I was looking at uh, a while ago in Pioneer, there were these red black aggro decks that were kind of built around, you know, Bomat Courier, Blade of the Oni, things like that, and both mono red, mono black and uh, black splash red. And I think that the Mishra and uh, Dragon Engine pair both kind of look good enough on their own to be playable. But I think having that meld angle is something that as a top end in an aggro deck gives you a little bit more inevitability because both the Urza and the Mishra Flipwalker are really good. They just have so much text. Cards, yeah. The Mishra's not even a not even a planeswalker. It's just got like twelve modes that you can pick from on the back of it. Yeah. It's a choose your own adventure story. The adventure is your opponent loses. Hey, if you get to Yu Gi Oh (laughs) something in our game, I think you deserve to win. Let's be honest. Exactly. So that when I was when I was looking through Brothers War early on, that was that was my big fixation was sort of a, a red black aggro deck that, that pieced those two together. Uh, certainly didn't come together in time for the RC, but I think there's something to be said about some of these unearth cards and some of these prototype cards that may take a little tinkering with. And if someone has the ability to to have that foresight, I wouldn't be shocked to see a, a good blink prototype deck kicking around at, at the RC. Awesome. Yeah, so th- I mean this has been ridiculously valuable for me because you know I all I can look at is some numbers and like my rudimentary amount of experience with Pioneer. So Sky, thanks so much for being on the pod and providing a lot of insight to us and our listeners and walking us through the format right before this this first really big paper tournament, feat- you know, re-featuring Pioneer, bringing it back, I think, to the forefront of people's minds. So I'm really hyped for it. I'm hyped to be in Atlanta. Looking forward to seeing all you all out there in the Dive Down Nation. Looking forward to seeing you, Sky. If people want to find you on the internet, where can where can they find you? You know, Twitter, Twitch, all that kind of stuff. Luckily, I, I managed to get Darth Jason just about everywhere. So if you're if you're looking for Darth Jason, uh, you'll usually end up finding me, that or a Star Wars character. <laughs> so if you end up on Wikipedia, you're in the wrong place. But as far as Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, they're all Darth Jason, and uh, I try to post content pretty regularly, if not every day. A uh, little bit off the last couple of weeks in prep for Atlanta, but once we're back, we'll be back to putting up content every day that's j-a-c-e-n darth jason uh yeah i mean i think your your stream is really good your articles are great uh you're you're a a good mind and a great addition to the content creators out there in magic so thanks so much for joining us uh this week sky truly appreciate it thanks for having me and uh thanks for the thanks for the flattery it means the world and so that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't, you know, try to subscribe to us. You can, you can you know, subscribe on like uh, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on you know whatever pod streamer you're using. That gets you the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And you can leave us a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, things like that. If you want to ask us a question, reach out to us, complain to us, uh, ask us what in the world we're thinking doing this for four years. Uh, we're at The Dive Down on Twitter, or you can email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you want to support us on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash thedivedown. Go check out the swag. At thedivedown.com. Oh, yeah, the swag. Thedivedown.com slash store. 100% cool stuff. Uh, buy it for yourself. Give your loved ones some kind of holiday gift list. You know, just get, get like eight hats. There are so many colors. There are so many colors. I have a green camo hat coming because I was like, I want camo. 
and it's there. Shout out to Mana Traders, of course, sponsoring us for many, many months. Uh, promo code the Dive Down 15 gets you 10% off your first two months. Uh, of course, shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances at Barrister and Man using the code the Dive Down 15, 15% off your first order on Nerd Rage Gaming. You know, we get no kickback here. We just like supporting them and their re, you know, their tournament, their paper tournament series. Dive 8 gets you 8% off your order there. Thanks again, Nowhere and Space Flood for letting us use their music. And until next week, if you're Sky, get out there and win the Atlanta Regional Championship. <laughs>